0: Protesting live to the world, now, now, now. it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with Name It and Claim It. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his Great Commission. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Sheila Zielinski Show. I'm honored that you could join this program today because it is going to be a very powerful show. I have joining me momentarily Miss Carla Butod, minister from Texas, and let me tell you, she is proof not to mess with Texas. I always say she is the toughest little cookie from the Lone Star State that I ever met. And she packs weapons, well she probably packs those weapons too, but she knows her weapons of warfare, this gal. And it's really exciting because we are set to release a power prayer book. So it's not really surprising her and I have been under a lot of attack. We've had a lot being thrown at us, and it's not surprising the enemy's mad, because the show we're going to do today is probably going to tick them off even more. Because let me tell you folks, after this show... It is my hope that your life will be changed. Carla and I had talked about this last August, and we're only doing this show now, so God's timing, right? And here to talk about this topic is the one and only Miss Carla Butod. Carla, it's such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks, Sheila.
1: I always love being on with you.
0: Thank you. We love having you on. Well, we really do seem to pick contentious topics, you and I, and tonight's topic is is no exception. I'm hoping this show, Carla, is going to be very impactful on God's people. I really believe it's life changing. You and I had talked about doing this topic last year, and yet I just didn't really feel released to do it until now. But what we're going to talk about is true biblical blessing, wealth and prosperity. It's a hugely important issue. And you know why it is because of this climate of declining jobs and unemployment and oppression and the famine in the land. But I'll tell you when it really dawned on me, Carla, how serious this problem is. It's when I sent out a letter a while ago to my listeners, reminding them of this ministry being 100% funded by listeners, because I was looking at my numbers every month and I was baffled. I thought, God, there's no way with the amount of downloads and constant listeners that are eating the meat of this show, there is no way that this ministry can be so poorly financially supported. And I kept saying to God, what is wrong with this picture? And then I received part of the answer. I was stunned at the amount of emails, letters, phone calls I got saying this was the theme. No exaggeration. Over one third of those like 300 responses was this. Sheila, we love the show. We'd love to support the ministry. But we can't due to we lack the financial resources. I was stunned, Carla. This is obviously a huge problem in the body of Christ and remember we live in a prosperity-driven church where these tele-jellyfish that's all they ever talk about is planes, trains and automobiles and I thought you know it is time that God deals with the truth of what is true biblical blessing wealth and prosperity for his people. But there's also another overarching issue of all this and that is what could be blocking, hindering, or obstructing us as God's people from coming into the fullness of what he wants for us. And I think that's a huge topic that needs to be addressed in the proper biblical light and context because it's something that's ubiquitous. So I'm really also very excited about what God's revealed to you as we were pressing into this topic. And I now feel released to talk about it. And I really appreciate you coming on to discuss this very important topic, Carla.
1: All right. You know, to hear the responses that you got is not shocking to me, even though I believe the way I believe Mike and I, too, have been in times where we were what you would call broke. And it's always been a mystery to me because as we come into the Christian life and we know what the Word of God says and we begin to live according to the Word to the best of our ability, and yet there is lack. And I I find this to be across the board almost in the church, and I just know that it is not supposed to be this way. Everything in the kingdom of God is about multiplication and increase. Everything. So why should we be lacking when it comes to finances? There's got to be something that is not quite right in our belief system or in the way we live or our priorities or something that is causing such a lack in the body of Christ.
0: Yes, that's just a lack in the body of Christ. You just mentioned also a really interesting word there. You said you were perplexed. I'll tell you what perplexes me. It kind of seems like the ones that I know, including myself, that are really pressed into the things of God and serving him. They're the ones that are always struggling and lacking. And this lack is so prevalent. And one of the things that I found very confusing is in the summer of 2014, I found myself destitute, lost my home, I was sleeping in my car having to have my 13 year old stay with someone I was trying to do my show every Saturday from a truck stop with Wi Fi. I had poor sound bad equipment. I was so close to pulling the plug. And I remember saying, Lord, how does this glorify you? Me sleeping in my car? I'm five foot seven, I'm crammed in a little Ford Focus. I was really miserable. And I was really confused. And I thought I'm serving you out here. I'm out here in the battlefield. I'm clearly doing something wrong. Your word says you want to bless me, and yet this doesn't seem to reflect that. What am I missing here? Something is not right with this picture. All these ungodly people I know, they're living the good life and not a care in the world, and and I'm doing this, and I was really, really confused, Carla.
1: Well, it it is confusing. When, When things do not turn out the way you read it in the word, and then your experience is telling you something differently, it does cause you to stand back and take a second look and begin to question. I was at that point myself. It had to do with my children, you know, training them up in the way they should go. And all of mine had left, you know, what I had trained them. And so, I mean, I know the Word of God is true. But here is where, as I have examined these different ministries, I even look at like Billy Graham, you know, he had one thing that he really preached and that was salvation, salvation, salvation. So a lot of people got saved under his ministry. Others like, well, I you know, I hate to call names, but Benny Hinn is known for healing because he preaches healing, healing, healing. These other ministries that concentrate on the financial part of it are preaching prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. What I have begun to learn is that whatever you preach and whatever you set your sights on, that basically is the area that you are going to do well in. Now, I remember Oral Roberts about eight years ago or no, not eight years ago. It was longer than that. But he got on television and made a plea for this $8 million that God told him that he was going to get $8 million from his listeners or from whoever. And do you know, he got the $8 million. I was floored. Now, I don't myself personally believe in doing that, but many people do it. And then they get the results that they put out there. I don't understand that either. But I think there is so much from different places that is preached and that is carried out that it has caused a lot of confusion in the body of Christ.
0: Yes, the confusion is horrendous because there's so many Christian ministers and that's all they focus on is money. And to me, money is not always synonymous with prosperity. It can be a part of it, but it seems like they just push the money part. And here's the other piece. In my family, I had an uncle and everybody used to say this phrase, Vern has the Midas touch. And it's an expression that people often use when they're describing somebody who's successful and ambitious and everything he touches turns to goal. And I thought, hmm, well, I have the opposite of the Midas touch. Everything I touch turns to You know, can't say it on air, but (laughs) because it seemed like, you know, usually that expression is uttered really admiringly and almost enviously. And you go, oh, you know, you recognize good fortune of a person is usually somebody with a lot of financial goals. Usually they amass material possessions. And it was funny because I did a study years ago in Greek mythology and it turned out Midas was a king who lived in, well, 8th century B.C. He was very wealthy, he had more gold than anyone in the world, he stored gold in huge vaults underneath his palace, and he spent days and hours handling and counting his treasure. And it reminds me of what God says about storing up treasures on this earth. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing I always thought it was fascinating. Everyone was very quick to say, Oh, you're so blessed, you have such good fortune. And that always stayed with me as a kid. And yet, when we would leave their house, they had beautiful things. And I'd go back home, and we didn't have anything like them. And it just always made me feel bad about myself. So it's just interesting, isn't it? It
1: is. But you know, even mentioning Midas, when you look back in the Old Testament, and and believe me, I have this conversation a lot with friends over finances and stuff. You know, because they tend to judge people who have money. And it's almost a mentality that you can't be holy and rich at the same time. Right. But I'm telling you, if you look in the Old Testament, without fail, Moses, look at Moses, look at Abraham, look at King David, look at King Solomon. I mean, these guys were very, very wealthy and they were God's men. So why is it that now in the New Testament, people think that you have to be scratching poor to be holy? And I think it's a misconception of the scriptures because, I mean, we've talked about this before, the rich young ruler. And um, I have the scriptures here, and I want to make a couple of comments about that. But, you know, when he encountered Jesus, he asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And he called him good master. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? And he said, well, there's none good but God, but one. Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And the young man answered him and said, master, all of these I have observed from my youth. And in Jesus, it says, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now see, when Jesus listed all those things in the Ten Commandments, I thought it was so interesting that he left out the first one, which is, Thou should have no other
0: gods before me. It was idolatry, wasn't it?
1: Yes, he basically saved the young man from lying, (laughs) because if you'd thrown that one in there, too, I don't know. The young man may have said, well, I've done all of that for my youth. But Jesus knew that this man had much. He had great possessions. It even says that he was sad at what Jesus said and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So it wasn't, Jesus was not holding against him that he had great possessions. He knew that the young man loved his possessions and put his possessions above everything else. So also in Mark 10, 24, 25, it says, How hardly they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And why was that? It says, And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So see, it's not because he's rich. It's because he trusts in his riches that makes it hard for him to enter the kingdom of God. So it's all about where you put these riches in your life. What priority do they hold? I'm pretty sure that God is looking for someone that he can
0: trust to have riches. That's important because it really talks there about them serving mammon and making them gods, back to the idolatry issue. If you're placing your hope and happiness in those material things, that's when it becomes, I believe, an issue, really, doesn't it? It
1: does. But then on the other hand, I mean, there are some scriptures that give us some insight too in the way Jesus felt about it. And the parable of the unjust steward is important. I found it important when I studied it, because here is this man who other people told his boss that he was misusing his funds or whatever. So he gets held accountable for it and he gets fired, actually. So the guy is kind of in a because he said to dig ditches I can't and to beg I'm too proud so what he did was he went to all of the men that owed his boss money it said that he went to one who owed a hundred baths of oil and he told him to sit down quickly and write 50 he went to another who owed a hundred measures of wheat and he said sit down now and write me 80 So he went on a collection trip (laughs) and actually collected less than what they really owed. Yes. But what's better, nothing or part of what is owed? So Jesus commends the man, and he says in verse 8, it says, And the unjust steward's Lord commended him because he had done wisely for the children of this world, are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I know that when Jesus said that, he said it with great sadness. I mean, here we are, believers, children of God. The word says we have the mind of Christ, and yet the children of this world in their generation are wiser than we are. But I find that true across the board. You know, Mike and I have a small business, Optical Shop in Jasper, and we were talking about stuff like this one day, and he said, "He said, you know, it's really a shame, but you know who I hate to hear open the door? He said, the one that comes in saying, praise Jesus, he said, because I know after they get, their, get fitted for their glasses, they're going to
0: want something for nothing. Why is that? What is that about? Because... I've noticed that, too, that it's embarrassing to go someplace with a Christian when, see, I'm a big tipper because I used to waitress, so I know what it's like. And I have seen people leave nothing to these poor waitresses. And I always go back and just leave money because that's embarrassing to me. And then a non-Christianal tip. What's that about?
1: Um, Well, it's because, well, you know what? You can look at a lot of the really, really, really rich people in this world like Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, Ellen DeGeneres. And they give and give, they give lots and lots and lots. And see, this is, it's a spiritual principle. If you follow the principles in the Bible, they are productive. And even the world knows this.
0: It's funny you brought up Oprah, because Oprah, a few years ago, everyone was obsessed with that book, The Secret, And it was a very New Age book. And it was just after Oprah had given everybody in her audience a car. And I mean, the Church of Oprah has, let's face it, influenced more women in the world than anyone. And she is a very New Age person. But she's also very generous because, as she says, she didn't have a lot when she was young. So the interesting piece about this secret that really set the world on fire, so to speak, in the New Age movement, even churches... We're reading this book. And I myself read that book to see what the hoopla was about that book. And so as I read it, I thought, wait a minute, you guys have taken the principles of God, you've hijacked them and turned it in to God is some skybound wish granting genie. And it was stunning to me.
1: It is. It is stunning. But you know, it says in the Bible, it rains on the just and the unjust. So people who follow these principles, they may not even know that it's scripture you know but you know it says if somebody takes your shirt or your garment give them your cloak too if they ask you to go one mile go to there are a lot of people i have an uncle that would give you this shirt off of his back he's very generous and he is wealthy too you know it's all relative actually but he's not hurting for money i'll tell you that (laughs) but he's very generous and he's he he wants to help people now You know, he thinks his good works are going to get him to heaven, which he's going to be shocked. But it's just sad that as Christians, we are not enjoying the the benefits, the full benefits of being a child of
0: God. Carla, I believe in prosperity. Yes, me but too. by that, I mean spiritual well-being and physical health and prosperity. I do also mean material or financial blessing, but that's not the biggest part of it, because when the Apostle John declared, "Beloved, I wish you all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth there." in three John two, I believe his intent and meaning was to refer to three distinct areas of life, Carla. And it was, to me, it's material physical, and spiritual. And his fervent desire was that we should thrive, flourish, prosper in every aspect. But sadly, everybody always emphasizes the cold, hard cash, don't they? Well, as my
1: husband would say, it comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> <laughs> it takes money. I mean, it takes money to live.
0: It takes money to live. It takes money to run a ministry. And yet, the minute you mention money, I'll tell you what, they tune right out and they run the other way.
1: I know it, and I I don't understand that either. They don't mind if they go to a football game paying $200 for a professional football game ticket. I mean, let me tell you, I may be getting myself in trouble by saying this, but I just cannot stand these prayers that people pray whenever they're praying over an offering that's going to be taken or they pray after the offering is taken and God bless those that gave and God bless those that couldn't give. No, you can give something. They're going out to eat somewhere. You know, they're getting their nails done. They're getting their hair done. It's the latest, greatest flash in the pan thing. You know, I I don't know. Sometimes I have a problem with that. And here's the other thing I have a problem with. A lot of preachers will not even preach on tithing because it makes people mad and they're afraid they're going to run people off. You know, it says in Malachi to bring your tithes into the storehouse so that there might be meat in mine house. Do you know, really and truly, the people are to bring their tithes into the storehouse to take care of the man of God who should spend his time seeking God and sharing what God says to them, the church that Mike and I used to go to, and I just loved it dearly. But the pastor had to quit. I mean, he was working full time and preaching. How can you do that?
0: Some people say, well, tithing that went away in the Old Testament. But Carly, it's in Matthew 621. Yes, it is. It's in the New Testament. And so says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, when we are able to give 10% of more of our income instead of keeping that money for ourselves, it shows that our heart isn't tied to our money and that we love God more than our money. This woman in the church, she oh, you're homeless. Well, oh, you don't have food. Well, I'll pray for you. And I thought, why, why pray for her? Why don't you just give her food? And why don't you just give her what she needs? You're the church. Well, we don't have a benevolent fund. I thought (laughs) benevolent fund. That's just scriptural. (laughs) I know it. I know it. Why is that called a benevolent fund? Like that's so ridiculous. Because it makes people so sad
1: that they have to give. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I jest and I shouldn't, because it really is a serious matter. But, you know, like I said, the the preachers won't preach about tithing because they're afraid they're going to make people mad. But, you know, sometimes that is the way to get out of poverty is to begin to give. The word says give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over.
0: The Lord says he loves a cheerful giver, but people don't give very cheerfully, do they?
1: No, you know, listen, if God was like the IRS, we'd all be in trouble.
0: (laughs) Well, the Greek word translated prosper or prospereth in the text is oudo, which is comprised of the words hudos, which means road, and eu is pronounced oo, which means good. So thus the Greek word is translated properly, good road, good journey. So at the very least, Carl, it means have a good and prosperous journey. So I have a hard time personally understanding how anyone could have a good and prosperous journey. If you don't have adequate provisions for the trip, if you're broke, lacking, and in poverty, that's not really that helpful. And apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians 16, two when he directed the believers in Corinth to set aside some money each week as God had prospered him. I mean, poverty does not produce piety, does it? No, it's
1: it's a shameful thing. To me, you know, when when we didn't have any money, I'm like, what kind of example does this set for people? Here's the deal: the world looks at the church and says, why would I want to be a part of that? Yeah. Everybody is sick, they're struggling, they're miserable, and I know that that's not true for everybody, but for so many. And here's the thing that I hate even worse than being in that position is walking around acting like everything's great when it's not.
0: Well, and then the other side of the coin is you've got all these again, people just get furious when I mention these guys. But Joel Osteen said one time in his book, I am and he's not talking about the I am Moses met. He really said it's all about us. You know, there was a a women's conference that Terry Seville had last fall called Cupcake Conference. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly Cupcake. But the premise was eat the cookie, buy the shoe, do whatever you want, spend, spend, spend. And I guess the point is, is when you have guys buying the $100 million jets of $500 million vacations and lascivious lifestyles for the rich and famous. I don't think that God wants us living in such lascivious that we can't even help out people. So, I mean, there's other end of the continuum too, isn't there?
1: There is. It's abuse, and and there's abuse in every area of life. We're going to have abuse, and it's um, that also puts a bad taste in the in the world's mouth toward Christians. And that's the whole thing. I just wonder sometimes just what God does think about his
0: church. I said recently the devil's not fighting most churches, he's running them. But the point is that in the world's goods, Psalm chapter fifty proves why it's not wrong to have the world's good. It says, For the beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills that scripture and you look at a lot of these scriptures the lord showed me these verses because he did have to get my thinking straightened out i really believe not only did i have a poverty curse it was almost like this false humility it's like oh well i'm living a meager life for the lord i mean really we're not supposed to be you know, living with your britches worn out and your hat worn out and your right. soles of your shoes. I mean, living on barely get along street next to old Grumble Alley because a lot of people I know that are broke, they say, well, money doesn't buy happiness, but it kind of rents it maybe because it doesn't. It's, <laughs> it's no fun being broke. <laughs> no,
1: nobody likes being broke. Um, but, you know, back to Malachi, um, you know, it says that You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, this whole nation. Um, Down below, where it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, it says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. See, there are some benefits to, um, it's better than insurance, I I say. It says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. And that means, that word blessed there means wildly, level, right, happy, going forward, honest, and prosperous. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. And then delightsome means a place of extreme pleasure or satisfaction, joy, even keen joy. So, you know the picture doesn't fit for everyone so what is what are we to do how can we how can we get to that place that's the question that i have for those that are really in poverty
0: well you mentioned something earlier and i think it's really key and you talked about abram being rich in cattle silver gold if you look in genesis 13:2 the verse doesn't really require that much interpretation, does it? It's kind of saying there in Kings chapter 10, it tells of Queen Sheba, She came to visit Solomon and... She was like, wow, the wisdom and the prosperity exceeded the fame. This was a really blessed household. And the Bible says, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Even in Chronicles, we read that as long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So over and over, Mm -hmm. we see wealth and prosperity. But here's the piece, I think, and it's the people being covetous, Carla.
1: Yep, they are covetous. And, you know, I remember a time before I was really living and making the Lord the Lord of my life. I was jealous of people who were doing well. You know, here's the deal. And we've talked about this already. The people outside the church are doing better than those in the church. And so for a while, I was jealous of the things. You know what? Until I took my eyes off the money. (laughs) 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 That is key. I'll tell you one time. I was working with my husband in the office and I was under a lot of pressure because we did go through a really hard financial time. And I would have to know exactly how much money was in my purse at all times. And one day God told me, he said, you know, money is just green paper with numbers on it. He was just letting me know that we put too much value in the money, on the money, Almost to the point, well, the Bible says that the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. So, you know, we we find ourselves, and here's the other thing, who of us are not slaves? It's like, I, I can remember sitting at this real busy, well, the only major intersection in Jasper where I live, and, I mean, people are just scurrying from the time, even before the sun comes up, people are in their cars, on their way to punch a time clock somewhere for what? For money. For money. I'm reminded of Matthew six twenty-five through 33, are some very key scriptures in the Word, where it says to be anxious for nothing. Look at the fields, but they don't work and they don't toil, yet the flowers are, are more grand than, you know, Solomon's don't worry about what am I going to eat? What am I going to put on? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We're doing it backwards. We are concerned about where we're going to lay our head. We're concerned about what we're going to put on our back and what we're going to eat. Instead of just seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and those things are added to us. So I think that in a nutshell, may be part of why we struggle so. Because we're not putting that first. We're putting first the job. We're putting first the money. But here's the other thing. You said something in the very beginning. Serving God with all your heart and you're sleeping in a car. What's up with that? Here's the deal. Satan will work harder against those who are giving their heart to the Lord totally. And living for him, he hates you and he's going to come against you with everything in his in his power to keep you so poor that you can't really be effective for the kingdom.
0: Well, I had somebody put it this way, and I thought this was such an interesting analogy. They said Satan has a big old pack of flashcards and he says, hmm, I wonder what would really get this person off track. I can't deal with their health Hmm, let's pick another flashcard, poverty, mm-hmm. there's one that'll work on her. Christians have this, I'm telling you right now, they don't have the proper understanding of giving, receiving and prosperity in general, because God wants to prosper his children. Carla, my little kids, I have three sons. It wasn't like my little children were wondering how they were going to eat dinner. They just expected that they were going to be provided for. And that's how I feel that we should have faith in God to the point where we know and just expect that our Father will provide for us. It's kind of like nowadays I say, hey, your will, your bill. And that's not disrespectful, but I really believe it comes down to faith as a little child. Well, he tells
1: us to be his little children. and. And that means not to worry. Back to Matthew 6, don't be anxious for what you're going to put on, what you're going to eat, you know, a place to lay your head, a roof over your head and all of that. But those are the things that we do. You know, it's like the treadmill of the world. You know, you grow up and then very soon you find out it's all about the money. It's all about making the money so you can have the house, so you can have the car, so you can have the clothes, so you can have all the vacations and, and all of the bells and whistles.
0: Carla, financial stress is the number one cause of divorce. That That's a fact. That's true. And you know what? We ain't seen nothing yet.
1: I'll tell you that in Texas terms. We ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> the, the economy is, listen, at some point, everything man-made is going to crumble. Absolutely. The question is, what are we going to do when that time comes? We need to exercise and be building our trust in the Lord so that when that time comes, we don't, as the word says, our hearts fell us for fear.
0: You know, I mean, I have to admit, there's sometimes I hear on these programs and that's all they ever talk about is a financial implosion. And I'm not saying there's not one coming. Right. But if you focus on focus and focus and focus, it's like we've got to start food. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to, you know, get a, whatever, a year's worth of water, a year's worth of food. I mean, the bottom line is I get when that time comes, it comes. But here's the point. When you're living in constant fear, you're not in faith either.
1: No, and, you know, I I don't know that any of us can really – Imagine how it's really going to be to figure it out. I think about, you know, when, when the Israelites were in Egypt, if they had heard that Moses was going to come and lead them to the promised land, they would have been storing up so much stuff they wouldn't have been able to carry it out. And yet God fed them. God took care of them. They had manna. They griped about it, but hey, they weren't starving to death. And, you know, he provided for them water out of a rock, miracles But God is able, you know, to keep us. Now, he hasn't given me a message to store up food and stuff, but I've heard other people say that they have. Am I going to doubt that? No. Or or doubt the message that they're getting from God. I'm just saying I haven't gotten that message. And, you know, I look at Elijah when he was at Brook Cherith that that bird brought him meat and bread
0: twice a day. That that's just awesome to me. <laughs> it it's amazing what God can do and I was thinking about Moses as you were talking because he's actually a really good example of someone who, you know, here he is, he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was uh-huh. raised by this rich Egyptian and yet gave up his prestige and honor and wealth and just walked away from the things the world had to offer. And yet he esteemed the reproach of Christ as greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Well, and
1: you look at when they left, God instructed them to ask for their silver and their gold and their raiment. They left with, they spoiled Egypt. They left with all the wealth. Of course, that's what they used to. Make the temple, the tabernacle there, and all the gold was melted down and made the vessels and the the raiment and the material and all of that stuff that was used for god's kingdom it wasn't It wasn't just so they could dress pretty, but you know I'm pretty sure that all the kings and their families wore some pretty nice clothes. I'm sure they drove the greatest chariots around, so I don't understand why we shame somebody for if they are doing what God called them to do and they are helping people and, you know, giving into the kingdom especially. You know, Jesus said something one time. The disciples were fussing at this woman who was pouring this expensive ointment all over Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, the poor you will have with you always. The poor you will have with you always but not so with me they didn't even know what she was doing I'm not even sure she knew what she was doing and also you know I look at some people that I've had contact with that when Jesus said the children of this world are wiser than the children of light not too long ago when I started to get my I was getting ready to have my little booklet the fight for life booklet published and I knew this woman that um, what she did editing on the side she was a school teacher but she did editing on the side for magazines and stuff so I thought well I'll help her you know I'll help her prosper I'll find out how much she charges and I'll use her instead of somebody else you know in the world or whatever and so when I called her I said I wanted to find out how much you charge to edit and she goes oh well I wouldn't charge you anything and I said, why would you do that? And I found myself flapping my hand over my mouth like, shut up, Carla. <laughs> I mean, she's fixing to give you a deal, and, and you're going to say this? Well, I didn't even understand why I was saying it, but God was pointing something out to me. I said, why would you do that? She said, well, you are going to give the booklet away for free, aren't you? And I said, well, actually, I'm not. And it was Frank Marzullo Sr. Years ago, he said, You will be writing books. And when you do, do not give them away for free. You know, people say, well, freely you have received, freely give. Well, he said, let me tell you something. You give them something free. It's going to end up on the floorboard of their car or up on the dash. It has no value to them.
0: When I got my book published, I wish my author had said, well, freely you give, freely we'll edit your book. No, I had to pay five grand to get it copy edited the actual people said, well, you're giving your book away free, right? And I said, no, I'm not. I owe the pub. I owe a copy editor money. And why is it that people always expect free, right? And yet the Bible says the workman's worthy of his meat, Carla. Exactly, exactly.
1: And see, so it, this all happened in one day. I spoke to the editor lady and um, I told her I would get back with her. And then I was on my way to meet with a man who was going to help me with my website. He's really good with computers. He's helped in other ministry, and he said that he would be happy to help me. So I'm going over there to meet him. So when we got started, I said, Well, I I guess I should ask you how much you charge uh, before we get too far into this. And he said, Oh, well, I'm not going to charge you anything. And I said, Why would you do that? Second time that day, I said, Why would you do that? (laughs) And I find myself wanting to slap my mouth and say, shut up, Carla. But seriously, God was trying to show me something. I said, why would you do that? What do you do for a living? He said, well, I work with computers. I said, didn't you have to go to college to learn to do that? Yes. I said, then why would you not enjoy the benefits of your trade? Okay, so he said, well, you know, that's just my whatever. And, and, you know, I I don't mean to to be ugly about this guy. But I had never seen him before. We're meeting at a restaurant. I'm looking for someone very um, distinguished looking. Professional. Very... Oh, yes. No. I mean, I can't even describe to you short of being a homeless person. And, and I was stunned. Okay, so then when we get in the car to leave, I'm stopped because it was in Houston, Busy Street, and I am trying to you know, turn onto the street. He pulls up behind me. Now, I was driving a car that was probably 10 years old, but it had been very well cared for. It still looked brand new. Okay, he pulls up behind me in a car that's probably not even as old as mine, and I can see junk all inside the car. And I'm not joking you, he evidently his headlights didn't work, so he went to like AutoZone or somewhere, and he had these portable lights screwed to the top of his and I'm just like Lord no you know how can this be this is not good advertisement for God for his children to be so poverty stricken if there's something wrong with this picture
0: right exactly so the point in this whole show today is that's the point is there's something wrong with this picture right now talk to the people about when you were taking it to God and what God showed you about it.
1: Okay. So when Mike and I were in this poverty stricken place in our lives, I began to cry out to God about this because we were titers, we were faithful, we were, you know, doing everything we knew to do in our Christian life, and yet it was like the devil was eating our lunch. I mean, the cars were breaking down. There was trouble on every side having to do with finances. And so I had gone to this conference, and they talked about a scripture out of James, and it's James 5, 4. And I feel like this was the beginning of like a key to something. And here is the scripture, James 5, 4. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So what that means is James is talking about a boss who had hired some people to work, and he didn't pay them, And so it says that that money that was held back by fraud is crying. The money is crying. So we see that money has a voice. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be money. What is it that's been held back from you by fraud? Has it been an inheritance or a job? Has it been a promotion? Has it been a house? What is it that was kept back from you? those things are crying to be in your possession. And then it says, and the cries of them which have reeked are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So here I am crying out to God because Mike had gotten a new job and the boss told him he was going to pay him a certain amount and he didn't. So this is money that was held back from him by fraud. And there were other things that had happened in our life. So I got so excited when I heard this scripture. I wasn't real sure exactly what it meant. But I had this mental picture of a child being separated from the mother in a department store. And the child is crying out for mommy. Mommy is crying out the child's name. And the cries of those two brought them together. So in this scripture, it's saying that those things that have been held back from us by fraud... Are crying, and we need to be crying out for things that have been taken from us unjustly. Okay, so I started crying out to God. I made a list of everything that I knew that had been stolen from us, either by bosses or even things that I didn't know about, as I began to pray for it. So I'm walking around the house praying. And suddenly I have an open vision, and it is of the windows of blessing. They are in heaven, and they're wide open, and God is pouring out his blessings on his people. It could be good health. It could be a child that's been longed for. It could be money. It could be inheritances. It could be whatever, and those things are being poured out of the windows of heaven, but Satan had posted or assigned these mighty demons right under those windows. And they were funneling all these blessings over into this storage area. And it was all fenced in. And guess who was guarding the gate? But Satan himself. And he was picking his teeth with a toothpick and laughing hysterically. And I knew he was laughing at Christians because We're being stolen from, but we don't have the slightest idea what to do about it. But this scripture and that vision caused me to start coming against who? The thief, the thief, the thief. The Old Testament says when the thief is discovered, he must repay double. Remember, Job was restored double. So I began to speak to Satan. I just said, no way. No, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I command you to loose everything that you have stolen from Mike and me, even things that we don't even know about. And I command you to loose them. I send out the warring angels to move those demons away from the window of blessing, and I send out the harvesting angels to bring it into the house of Butod.
0: Well, it reminds me of Proverbs thirteen twenty two as you were talking It says a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. It says wealth gotten by vanity. Well, we know what's going to happen to that. So really, when you picture this demon funneling all God's people's blessing, I think there's a poverty curse. And I believe that God's people are getting robbed. So in the waning moments, Carla, add your final thoughts and then we're going to pray for the people. Okay.
1: Well, I do think that a lot of the reason that there is so much lack in the church is because we have not known even who our thief is. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, right? So if somebody steals your inheritance, it's not the person, but it is a spirit and the thief is Satan. So we have to really start directing our anger and using the power that we have been given over all the power of the enemy and begin to do the warfare in the spirit realm where all of these happen first. They happen first spiritually and then physically. And so to turn the tables on the enemy. And so what I would recommend that you do is, Ask God even to remind you of things that you've long forgotten. Because Christians, we, we're supposed to turn the other cheek, right? Yeah, for persecution for Christ, but not for, not for just the enemy stealing from us. No. So here is the prayer. You make your list, and then you go to what I call the enemy's camp and, and do just what I did. You just come Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind you, rebuke you, and render you powerless. I command you in the name of Jesus to loose every single thing that you've stolen from me and me and my husband or my children. And then you start reading off your list. This and this and this and this and this and, this, and then command him to loose them. Send out the angels to gather up everything that he has to let go of and bring it into the household of your name. And then I said, and it is written that when the thief is discovered, you must repay double. So I am calling in the double of everything that I just named. You owe me double in the name of Jesus. And then just start watching. And I mean, be watchful because very shortly after I started praying that prayer, the most amazing things began to happen. People that owed us money just brought it to us. Um, Someone that had written us a hot check made it right. While she was in our office, she had stolen a frame. She brought it back. I mean, we didn't even know about that. And there were many things. It was just amazing. And then people that we owed, that we had debt to, they called and like the man the unjust steward hey you owe us three thousand you make one more payment of two hundred dollars we'll call it paid i mean just it was amazing
0: that is amazing well and we're going to pray for the people right now father in the name of jesus we humbly come before your throne and we thank you for giving us power over all the power of the enemy and we exercise That power now, Father. Father, we know that beautiful, wonderful things are of you in prosperity. It is your way for the people who desire to seek you and your right way of doing things. Your resources are vast and unlimited. The cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus paid when he purchased us and reconciled us back to you and we repent, Lord. We ask you to forgive us, ones of us who haven't believed properly and appropriated your word properly. God, we want your kingdom system, your way, your gifts. We know your gifts are a recipe for success when they are done your way. We know there's nothing that this world system has to offer us. I believe that there is a ubiquitous mindset of poverty, mindset of lack, mindset of slavery, which is idolatry and witchcraft. So, Right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind every obstruction coming against these listeners who are experiencing the problems we talked about today. Right now, for every listener, Carl and I apply the shed and resurrected blood of Jesus Christ to every area of the listener's life right now, particularly in their finances and in their life period. Wealth, finances, prosperity, all of it, Father. And in the name of Jesus, I bind deception and idolatry, new age, witchcraft and disobedience, and general sins that opened a door for the poverty and lack spirits to come in our lives, and we repent for that. I bind every deceiving spirit that causes people to think they need to live on fixed incomes and park themselves on barely-get-by street. Malachi talks about the curse being the deceived, I bind and break the power of that deception right now on every listener, hindering spirits, blocking spirits, obstructing spirits. I command you to go now in Jesus' name. Headstrong, obstinate, that self idolatry spirit and rulers of idolatry, impulsiveness, hastiness, carelessness, lack, poverty, insufficiency, independency. I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Every spirit that goes contrary to good, to God, every perverse spirit, lawless spirit, criminal spirit, disorder, disobedience, nonconformity, corruption, suspicion, apprehension. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I bind jealousy, envy, covetousness, pessimism, cynicism, doubt, disbelief, discontentment, defeatism, suicide, heaviness, bad memories, trauma, denial, insanity, madness, confusion, complaining, distress, depression, and oppression in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you to go now in Jesus' name. Lack of success, failure, poverty and lack mindset, get out in the name of Jesus. All fears get out in Jesus' name. I give you leave in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now we remove every demon that is funneling the resources of the people, obstructing, stopping, blocking, hindering, tripping the people up. Go now in Jesus' name. Every generational curse on both sides all the way back to Adam and Eve, we break your power in the name of Jesus Christ. We close the door that opened every sin that caused every demon in hell to torment us, hinder us, plague us. Oppressive spirits, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ and I loose the harvesting angels now, to go gather up and bring every single thing that was stolen from every single person listening in the name of Jesus to be returned into their homes, their storehouses now. And I'm calling in double, double portion now in Jesus' name. Satan, you're a thief, and I bind you, rebuke you, and render you powerless in Jesus' name. I bind every spirit that has robbed your people, God, in Jesus' name. Spirits that are blocking God's kingdom and his system of provision i command you to get out i give you leave now antichrist spirits in jesus name and every spirit not of the holy spirit that is blocking hindering obstructing get out in the name of jesus and at the sound of my voice i command now the floodgates of heaven to be poured out on your righteous people father in jesus name and carla anything you want to add
1: I bind the spirit of the thief off of the people right now in Jesus name of lack of hopelessness of despair of heaviness Lord we just bind those spirits right now Lord we ask that you would bless your people as they seek first your kingdom and Lord to to bind up any uh, spirits of perversity that they have perversed the word of God in any way I thank you, Father, that everything Satan has brought into their lives for bad, you will turn it around for their good and your glory. They will be a force to be reckoned with in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you, loose them and let them go in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for that, Carla. What a powerful prayer. Carla, it's always such a pleasure to have you back on the program. I'm so glad you joined us tonight. And Carla, for the new listeners, please do give out your website. Okay,
1: it's Carla Butod, that's C-A-R-L-A, B as in boy, dot dcom CarlaButod.com.
0: Thank you, Carla, for coming on the program. Thank you for that wonderful prayer. And do come back and see us soon. Thank you, Sheila. I love you. Oh, thank you, Carla. I love you, too. Thank you for being a mentor to me, and thank you for blessing my listeners. Folks, please do get in touch with Carla and me. We're interested in hearing how things are going. Get out your blessing journals and get ready, folks. Start keeping track of what happens in your life. Like Carla said, it's amazing. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the program tonight, and I really do Hope you are very blessed by this. Good night and God bless.